Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Kurt Storing is a father, husband, entrepreneur, and hockey lover. He's passionate about helping men become better, more successful versions of themselves, and gets put into this practice. Kurt is in the pursuit of improving himself, even a little, every single day. He is a father to three boys and a husband of 10 years. He is also the founder of Dad.Work, a community and movement that helps dads become better men, partners, and fathers with men's work, mindfulness, and relationships with other men. He is the host of the podcast with the same name, the Dad.Work podcast. His goal at Dad.Work is to have a measurable impact on decreasing the negative outcomes related to men's mental health, including addiction, suicide, depression, anxiety, victim culture, and environmental disconnect by providing the tools, practices, wisdom, and insights dads need to heal and grow. Kurt Storing, what an absolute honor to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Yeah, thank you, Casey. That was a fantastic intro, and uh, <laughs> I, I just loved how you put that together. So thank you for the uh, for the kind words and for also having me on here today. Yeah, of course. It's an honor, and we always offer our guests, if you want me to read that again at any time in this interview, I'm more than willing to do it. Just stop me and say, dude, can you read my intro one more time? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you and I have a common thing in our lives and people need to know about it. We need to raise more awareness um, about this. And it's, it's kind of an experience. Can you please tell the listener what it's like to sit around all day next to the phone waiting for the NHL to call? I'm waiting for the NHL to call, say, <laughs> dude, grab your gear. You're going to Pittsburgh. Sidney Crosby wants you on his line. Like, go play. Like, it's so frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, I, I've been waiting. Like I, every time the uh, draft rolls around and they pass on me again, it's just like it's so frustrating because I'm just waiting here with all my gear. And uh, yeah, man, it, it's so it's hard not to be seen. I feel like not witnessed, not heard, not validated. And here I am, just like you know, I haven't played hockey for for quite a while on the ice, but like I've just been waiting for the call. So it, as you know, it's very difficult. We're still ready. Yeah, no, my my weekly game is Wednesday mornings at like five a.m. There's never any scouts there. It's so frustrating. <laughs> oh, that's bizarre. Yeah, no, I, I show up. I, I play ball hockey these days. And uh, for some reason, that doesn't translate to the ice very well. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Uh, have you always been a hockey lover? Oh, yeah. Ever since I was like, I don't know, there's a picture of me when I was two with a hockey stick in my hands. And uh, I was actually a goalie for my entire career, except for uh, when I moved to Thailand, I started playing ice hockey in Thailand. And uh, I was a player there. So yeah, man, my, my hockey career has been an interesting one. That is super interesting. I didn't know they had ice hockey in Thailand. Yeah, neither did I. <laughs> the uh, the ice, the rink itself was uh, something to, yeah, it, it, you, you don't want to play on that ice. It didn't even slide. There's no slip to it. So it was an experience and I'm grateful for it. And uh, yeah, I was about a, a foot or two taller than most of the guys playing, which was uh, interesting to navigate. But uh, yeah, man, it was a lot, a lot of fun. That must have felt really good to be taller than everybody. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's great. Well, as much as I would like to sit around and talk hockey for the next hour, um, you also do some other stuff. You started dad.work and I'm assuming, you know, learning about you and your story, I'm assuming that you started this work because you were so great at being a father from the very beginning that you just had to share your gift with everybody. Is that true? Oh yeah, that's absolutely uh, the farthest thing from the truth. <laughs> I, uh, I was not a good father at all. And that really led me on this journey of uh, self-discovery and self-improvement. And a lot of it is healing, to be honest. And I was a father very young. I think 23, my first was born. And I, for some reason, it was just hard. 
Like I was disconnected from my son. I had moved about a thousand kilometers away to a different part of the country. I had just quit my job. My wife quit her, her job and we were very alone. And at this time I was building my business, which was yeah, about almost nine years ago now. And I just couldn't get it together. Like I was angry and I would get mean when I was angry and it was, I was just not fun to be around. And as my son grew, it didn't get better. It seemed to get worse. And, you know, I, I have had a lot of bad reactions to anger, particularly in my case, but there was a few times where I just remember being so, so bad and feeling guilty and shame. And, and one of these times I just went like, man, enough is enough. What is your problem? Because I was scared I was going to lose my family. So I, I started digging in, doing the work and you know, it has been very hard. There's been a lot of lows. There's been a lot of dark nights of the soul, but on this journey, consistently sort of aiming toward being a better father, which was always like my North star, like I just got to get better so I can be a better dad. What I realized was like, I had a lot of my own healing work as a man to do. And so that's where this entire project came from is to be a better dad. Like I needed to get my own stuff sorted. I needed to heal my own wounds from childhood. I needed to get my relationships sorted, learn skills in relationship, communication, empathy. And in doing that, like not only am I a better father, but man, I feel like a completely different person. So I've basically changed my life. I've transformed it. And that's, it's hard to say because everyone's like, oh yeah, whatever. What does that even mean? But like my life is 180 degrees different because I was able to put in the work all because I was triggered so badly being a father. So that's like, that's the basic overview. And, and now that I'm on this side of it and I'm not perfect and I still struggle a lot and I'm a lifelong learner, but now that I'm on the side where I feel like I am the author of my own life, I just was like, man, everyone needs to know about this. Because if I felt as bad as I did, I know other guys out there are struggling too. So I just have it in me right now. Like my purpose is just to share this with other dads because it is life-changing stuff. So that's why I started dad work. Um, like you said, the, the URL is dad.work for that. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of the origin story of, of the, the project. Mm, interesting. Can you elaborate a little bit what the work was? Because I think people misunderstand what doing inner work really entails. We want to, you know, especially with our masculine energy go out and you know kick ass at life and make a lot of money and do a lot of hard work you know in quotations but what did that deep work look like to you to heal yourself absolutely and there's there's a lot of that doing versus being and for me that was that was a big part of it is sitting still with myself and I think that's the base fundamental of all of this work is becoming more aware of your own life whether that's the external world and how that makes you feel or the feelings themselves internally, or the thoughts themselves. So for me, this started with, um, well, the, first of all, the desire to improve. Um, you know, I, I had been, it felt like hit by a Mack truck. And that's often when we make decisions to improve. And part of my work is like, guys, let's not get there. Let's start to improve before we get hit by a Mack truck, because that hurts. So first of all, it was becoming more aware of my own life through meditation and breathing and journaling and just getting very curious. Like, why do I feel the way I feel? And why do I do the things that I do? Because they, they're not working for me, but like there has to be a reason because I just can't get better here. And so with that sort of internal awareness, you start to realize that, oh, I'm, I'm hurting. I actually have emotions that I'm not wanting to feel because maybe it was from when you were a kid, maybe some traumatic event happened. And I, I don't mean like, 
you know, big T trauma where you were abused or something like that. But as a kid, we have these perceived traumas, slights. Our parents maybe did something that we felt was uh, abandonment or neglect or unloving, even if we have the best parents in the world. And that's just how all of us operate. And so doing this internal um, sort of mining, like mining through my emotions and feelings and my story, I started coming up with these things like, oh, wow, this is why I think I feel this way. And when you get to the core and when you can admit what the core wounds are, I found in my journey, that was when the healing started to happen. So I guess the first step, like I said, was awareness. And then after that, it's like, are you willing to sit courageously with these feelings to move the energy that's maybe stuck in your body? And the ways that I have done that is through men's group and breath work and plant medicines even. And a lot of the the trauma and the the pain gets stuck in the body I have found. And so through things like breath work and even yoga, uh, you can move a lot of that energy, especially if you've cultivated the ability to sit in awareness through meditation or mindfulness practices or breathing. And so it all kind of works together. Um, but yeah, the, the sort of first step is just being aware of what's going on internally and then being courageous enough to face it. And I guess the, the last point of this is that it, it's a lot easier when you do it with other men. And it's like the scariest thing for other guys, right? Like you don't want to be seen as not being perfect. You don't want to be seen as having wounds. You don't want to be seen as like needing help because we're all lone wolfing it. This whole society is all about um, doing everything yourself and great independence. And yet this is like some of my greatest impactful moments in my journey have been being witnessed by other men, being held in a container of non-judgment and just sharing because there's something about like talking about this stuff that counterintuitively seems to move and lessen the effect of it on your life. So uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many tools. I'd love to go deeper on any of them that are interesting, but um, those, that's sort of the broad overview of just how I consider doing the work. And uh, I'll just leave it there for now. No, that's great. It was such a great point that you made about childhood trauma. I think it's, you know, this journey through podcasting, I'm starting to realize like how prevalent it is. And I've always looked at it like a comparative thing. Like I was never beaten as a child, so I didn't experience trauma. But I, I do believe that all of us have some baggage, some trauma that we're carrying around that's completely relative. It might not be equal to somebody who, you know, was brought up in a crack house or whatever, but it still can be just as severe and need to be felt and worked with and released. Have you found that to be the case? Oh, absolutely. Like that's the thing too. People go like, well, it wasn't that bad. And yet it's not about like objectively how bad it was. It's all about the subjective reality of that to you. How did that feel in the moment to you? There can be people who experience the same uh, trauma or tragedy and one person will not be affected. And one person that will become their core wound that sits and festers if it's not able to be processed. And so, yes, every single person that I talk to, that I see in my men's groups that I talk to who are fathers, um, I haven't yet met a person who doesn't have a wound. And I believe it's just part of the human experience and it's our job as humans. And unfortunately we've lost this along the way. It's our job as humans to get to the root of that and do the work it takes to heal and forgive and yeah, it's, it's not something that we are taught. And that's part of why I'm doing this work and trying to like talk to dads because I had to figure it out the hard way. And it took me like basically most of the last eight years and a lot of money and like a lot of effort and a lot of pain. And I just think that it ought be more easily accessible because like, yeah, like you said, it, it's everyone's got it. And I, I have yet to meet a person who doesn't. 
Mm, very well explained. You also mentioned, you know, some of the tools that you use and you made an Instagram post recently that goes over a lot of those tools that I really wanted to talk to you about today. The post is called nine parenting tips from your inner caveman. Um, so my first question is who is the inner caveman and why should we listen to them? Yeah, absolutely. So this is an idea for my wife, actually. She will often call on this almost archetypal caveman inside of her to make a decision, whether she's feeling ungrounded or whether, you know, the 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 modern world is just seeming a little bit overwhelming or disconnected. There's this sense. And again, it comes back to like being able to notice through awareness what you're feeling. And so she has started to call on this archetypal inner caveman and just be like, what is, what's the right move here? Like, okay, I need to get outside more or like, no, I don't need to screen in my life. I don't need to have, uh, you know, like a, an Amazon echo in my room. There's just all of these things that connect us to who we are as humans, I think can be sort of broken down basically into what we can more easily identify as a caveman. It's just where we come from. We have only lived in this modern life for a very, very short amount of time compared to the entire journey of humanity over the years. And so we ought listen to that more to feel better and more healthy and more grounded. And so that's sort of where this comes from. It's just like, if you're not feeling quite right right now and you can't really tell why, maybe the world is passing you by, maybe you feel untethered to the ground, maybe you're not the author of your own life. Like, how do you get that? How do you find the groundedness? And for me and my wife, it's like, okay, what does our inner caveman want? What is that primal person, that human inside of us who's not connected to Facebook and Instagram and all this kind of stuff, what do they need right now? And so, yeah, I've just found that very useful for myself, for parenting. I think we get overwhelmed with needing all this external stuff when it's like, no, it's very, very basic what we need as humans. And so that's where this post kind of came from. Mm. Well, it's fantastic. And like I said, I want to go over them. You get bonus points for mentioning Untethered. The Untethered Soul is my absolute favorite book of all time. Um, I don't know if you've read it, but I can't recommend it highly enough. Go outside. The first one, go outside. Why is it so important to go and be outside? And this one, it should be experientially true for everyone who's ever done it. <laughs> like if you're not feeling great right now, just go outside, get some sun, feel the the ground beneath your feet. Ideally take your shoes off, like touch a tree. Like we do this, we go for walks all the time. And what I'll do is like, I'll just put my hand on a tree and you might think that's totally woo woo. I don't care. It feels great. There is like this energy you can, you can get from the natural world that just refills your cup. So I think that, I mean, for the parents themselves, but also for the kids, like we need to get them out of their heads and get them into their bodies more. And that allows us to regulate our nervous systems. That allows us to be more aware of how we feel because we're not just like looking at a screen the whole time and completely divorced from what we're feeling and in our heads. And so, yeah, just like if you go outside and you feel better, you will prove that this is like a true point. Mm. Couldn't agree more with all of that. Getting outside barefoot, touching trees, like we're into all of that. Totally an energy there that I absolutely love and you cannot replicate. You know, we live in this really kind of sanitized world now. And part of the go outside, you say less screens, which I think most people can understand and get a part of, but you also say more dirt. Why, Why is it important to get dirty, to get, you know, more dirt in our lives? Yeah, this is something I think about with my kids all the time because it's hard for me, to be honest. Like, even as a kid, I was very clean and like I didn't love dirt. And I see that, like, when my kids are dirty, like they have just been exploring. There is no boundaries there that I need to set. The the earth almost like 
helps me to parent them. And it's getting the dirt like that. I mean, I think there are actually uh, physiological benefits to getting dirt in terms of like microbiome and stuff like that, that can actually make you healthier. But beyond that, it just means that like, you're actually playing, you're being free. You're not worried about like this, like you said, the sanitization of everything where everything has to be clean. Everything has to be full of manners. Everything needs to be neatly tucked away. And like I said, this one I struggle with because I have this perfectionist tendency to want everything to be neat and tidy and basically control my environment. And getting dirty is like a surrender to that. So it's a process that helps me. But man, when my kids are out there getting dirty, it's just like, yeah, they have been playing and they have been learning. And this is exactly what the kids need more of. I couldn't agree more. I love that so much. The second one on the list, I also love movement and closeness. Those two things kind of seem like they oppose each other. And you kind of phrase this in a super interesting way. And I, I, again, this is another one. I couldn't agree more with what you're saying and what point you're making. Can you talk about movement and closeness? Yeah, this one, uh, I was going to break into two points. And I was like, no, they're kind of the same thing because what I wanted to get here, the two main points, and I needed to flesh this out because I think these might be polarizing opinions. The two main points was movement, which is like, let your kid walk, like get them out of the stroller. I see kids like my kid, is, my youngest one um, is not yet two. And he's like, we almost never put him in the stroller. We carry him or he walks. And all of my kids have been like that. And I see kids who are like four or five, sometimes they're even like playing on their iPads in their stroller. I'm like, what, what are you doing? They're not learning how to move around. They're not learning about paying attention to the world around them. They're not learning that they are capable human beings if they're pushing around in the stroller. And I get it. It's easier to do that. Sometimes you don't have a lot of time. You're a busy parent and you just got to like get them in there so you can get everything done. And my challenge to you is like, what would it be like if you gave yourself 10 more minutes to start and end this journey? What would it feel like to slow down, to find stillness and be okay, knowing that your kid has to have some transition time? Because I think we missed that. And I think that's quite damaging to a child. And so that was like the first part of this is make them walk or carry them. And the closeness piece was obviously the carrying part, but also this idea of sleeping with your young child. And I know there's a lot of like sleep training out there and parents always brag about like, oh, my kid was sleeping through the night in his own crib from the time he was two months old. And I'm going like, I get it because I also wanted my space when I was a young father. I was like, I didn't know how to deal with this. I think it's unnecessary for a kid to sleep with us, get him in his own space so I can feel more comfortable. But with my two youngest kids, we have co-slept for like, I don't know, at least the first two years of their life. And I don't know what the right answer is, but that's sort of when I want to have the next sort of conversation is, okay, when do we move them into their bed after this? But co-sleeping, like they were designed as humans. This is sort of part of the caveman thing. We were designed to be with our mothers like almost all the time for the first couple of years. The, the child relies on the mother so much. And to get that like nervous system training and even reset by co-regulating with a child when they're upset, when they wake up in the night, when they're falling asleep, this like transference of nervous system states is a real thing and it's called co-regulation. And so what better place to do that than carrying them or sleeping with them? So movement, closeness, closeness like don't be afraid to hug your kids hold them, like carry them when they're, my kids are eight, six and one. And the, the middle one was like, you want to be carried up to bed the other day. And I was like, okay, great. Like, let's do that because it's not going to be around forever. And again, you transfer this like closeness and nervous system regulation. If particularly if you yourself are regulated to your child and you make them feel safe. And that's so important. And I guess the final point on that was just to, to do hard stuff. Like all of this is not the easy way to do it. It takes more time and that's great. 
you know, like I struggled against that so hard. And so I get it if you're like really resistant to this, but you have to do hard stuff to train your body and your mind so that when things are actually hard out of your control, you don't crumble. And I think a lot of that is missing as we go through, you know, everything that is happening in the news cycle right now. I think people are just not as resilient. And this is the kind of stuff that helps you become resilient. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. I mean, I think even if you're single to sleep with an animal, a dog or something, just to have, you know, the breathing near you is very calming. And I think this is a major source of childhood trauma, you know, being told to go to your room and cry it out and like not feel like you have that loving support or a a platform, you know, a a place to talk, a loving space for those feelings can be really complicated for a child. And I think that's a huge source of childhood trauma. Uh, Absolutely. It is such a great point. The other thing I see too, this, this drives me nuts, man. It's not only it's not only that people are using strollers. It's like these strollers are like mini cars. They feel like they're like climate <laughs> controlled and like Bluetooth yeah. Wi-Fi enabled, filled with sugary snacks. Like, and you're right. Like the kid's sitting in there playing on his iPad. That's no different than getting out in a screen. He's not even experiencing temperature from all I can tell. It's crazy. <laughs> wow. I love to do the hard stuff too. Um, I, I, I said very early in the pandemic and I, 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 tried to be as, you know, as respectful as I could with this, but I tried to make the point that like, look, this is why we were telling you to go to the gym. This is why we told you to eat well and to move and to do all these things because now something really hard is going on and we have a really soft population. People are not ready for Absolutely. all of this turbulence. And so I love that do the hard, the, the, do hard stuff. And that can come in many, many different forms, um, you know, breath work or physical movement, all that stuff. So I love that point. The next one down buy and consume less. Love it. Please explain. <laughs> Man, this one is so overwhelming. Um, you know, from, from plastic, well, I guess there's sort of two elements to this. One is there's just like plastic going everywhere. And like, I'm not, uh, I, I don't come from a background of being like, um, you know, morally environmentalist that it's not part of my programming. I do love nature and respect nature. And I think it's a huge part of this whole caveman idea. And, you know, I think that uh, entrepreneurs and uh, people in the private sector will solve all the problems we have. So on that sense, I just want to sort of frame this, but like, plastic survives forever. And it's just like ruining stuff and it's getting into the water and it's like being consumed. And that does all sorts of terrible things in many cases for hormones. And so like, I just, my wife and I are, you know, she, she especially uh, is just so anti-plastic that we try to get stuff that lasts. You, you know, might pay a little bit more at first, but it lasts and you know how to fix it. And there's just like more utility to it. And the other point of this is Again, the strollers, and again, I'm not going to shame anyone for doing strollers. We have a small stroller, and sometimes we use it when you know the the baby's a little bit more tired, whatever. Maybe like twice a month. So, like, I'm not shaming. Just this is this is being used to illustrate a point. So I'll just say that. So strollers, rockers. This is another thing. Like, if you just let your kid walk, roll, play by himself, and like held him, sometimes they wouldn't need a rocker. They would be able to play by themselves. You wouldn't need to like give them stimulation all the time with noisy toys and all that kind of stuff. And so I think excess in society is a huge, huge issue that we need to figure out like how to mindfully go about consuming. So when there is abundance as we have, it becomes very easy not to be mindful about what you consume because there's always more. And I just, man, this goes in like eating too much and being unhealthy buying too much and sort of numbing our feelings because there's always more. We stop being able to um, make good decisions about 
the things we buy and the skills we have, because why would you have skills to fix things if you could just go out and buy new stuff? So I just think like you will be much more satisfied with fewer, better things. And also it stops you from being distracted because like people will go nuts. It's almost Black Friday when we're recording this and people go nuts getting like the new TV. And I was talking to my granddad about this. He's like, yeah, you get this new TV, you trample someone and you spend like, you know, a thousand bucks on a TV that was normally 3000. You get home and it's like great for a day. And then the week following, it's like, okay, yeah, I got a TV, who cares? And so like, is this really a healthy sort of way to live? I don't think so. And so we just try to be very mindful about like what we buy, what we consume and just do it not to excess, but to when, again, coming back to awareness, when you feel full for food, when you feel you're done with buying things. So that is uh, for us quite an important point. That's amazing. Yeah. My wife and I are going on a kind of a minimalist journey on our own right now. And dude, I had five pairs of hockey gloves, five. Dude, I play, I play one time a week. I have five gloves. I have 10 jerseys. Like, yeah, what you, the hell? You, you can be forgiven for hockey stuff. Come on, let's not go too crazy here. You can keep all your hockey stuff, but nothing else. Who's, am I going to grow like a second head so I can wear these two helmets that I have? Like, what, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. you, you're right. Life is so much more meaningful when you can go through, choose the one you absolutely love, and then love and appreciate that one thing and, you know, fix it if you can and replace it only when necessary. It's 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 so much better. And you, you learn that you can surround yourself with things that you absolutely love. Um, also, for the listener, if you haven't watch the documentary uh, Plastic Ocean. It is horrifying. Mm. Um, really horrifying documentary about what plastics are doing to our oceans. It, it's a really real thing and reducing our consumption of plastics is so, so critical. So I love that. Tools and skills, creation, not comfort. I love that phrase. Can you elaborate? Mm, absolutely. This is something I've been thinking about a lot because um, as as things happen in the world, I just get a sense that I would like to be more self-sufficient. And, you know, it's not like I'm a doomsday prep or anything like that, but, um, you know, sometimes there are supply chain shortages right now. We just had flooding where we are and we're limited to buying like 30 liters of gas per fill up. And there's like not a lot of milk right now because the milk farms were flooded. And, um, so like there are things that will happen, whether or not it's insidious in nature, which I think, you know, a lot of people sometimes believe, uh, whether or not it's insidious in nature, I think it's so important for kids to have tools and skills and like my son is obsessed with like fishing and survival and hunting and like being outside and starting fires and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, so, so pumped. I'm unbelievably pumped. And at the same time, I'm going like, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't actually have the skills that he needs to pass on. And so now I am going searching for experts in these fields to mentor me and my son so that if something were to ever go wrong, or maybe, you know, you're camping in the, in the, uh, in the woods and you need these skills, you've got them. I think there's something so valuable for a child's not only abilities, but confidence to be like, yeah, I can do that. Like I can survive without all these comforts. I can fix this. I can make a fight and survive if I needed to. And just knowing that I think gives you a way better perspective than most people in our society right now, which is like, if you, take some comforts away, suddenly they become like super insular panicked and a sort of a side point here without the community that I think we all need and all lack, like in a village sort of mentality. If you don't feel connected to something like that, because, you know, the city community is just so big these days, suddenly it's like, well, nobody's looking out for me right now. And if you don't have any skills that you know you can fall back on, it starts to becoming like, okay, well, I need to look after me and no one else. And that's when you see hoarding. That's when you see like panic. That's when you see people being susceptible to believing everything the media 
media is telling them. And I think that's, that's terrible. So yeah, teach them how to build stuff because it feels good. Like I, I made, I've never made anything with wood before. And I made this farmhouse table for our dining room and it, man, like it feels so satisfying. So even just to have that in your back pocket, to be like, yeah, I can do that to give that to our kids and teach them the hard work and what it looks like to create rather than consume. Uh, man, we're just trying to teach our kids that all the time. I love that. I'm sure you mentioned confidence. I'm sure that feeling being instilled in them is going to be so powerful for their resilience growing up. And I'm, I love how, you know, mindful you were about choosing exactly those words the way you did. Uh, creation is just one of my favorite words. Can you talk about why creating versus like say competing is so important? Mm, yeah. I mean, there, there's certainly good place for competition. And I think that's vital in a boy and a man's life. But this idea, um, really kind of like the, the last point we were talking about with consuming less is that we're so driven to like, everything is about advertising, buying more, uh, consuming more. And there's very little about creation anymore. And I think that we ought all create more than we consume because then you're a net positive, not only for your own good, but for like the good of your community and your society. If you are taking more than you put out, like, how does that make you feel? How can people rely on you if you are just taking? And this idea of like bringing things to life, whether it's a cutting board or like a bench or, you know, maybe it's like a computer or something like that. Maybe it's even art. Maybe your kid likes to write. Maybe they like to do art. Like all of these things, teaching them that they can create in this world and, and find beauty and find meaning and find purpose by putting things out to be seen and experienced by themselves and perhaps even others. Man, I just, yeah, I, there's something about the word. You're right. I love the word and I love everything that it can, that it sort of speaks to because it's the opposite of this overconsumption that I think is like really getting a lot of people's ways. Mm, couldn't agree more. That was such a great answer. I love that. Body awareness is the next one and noticing what, why is body awareness so important and why do we need to pay more attention and notice? Yeah. So this is sort of like the first point I said of my own journey doing the work is just being aware of what's going on. People are so divorced from how their body feels. And like, if you were to think of your inner caveman, they don't have doctors. Like there might be uh, a witch doctor or a shaman or something like that. And, and that's great, but like, they're not going to do surgery. <laughs> you know, they're not going to um, perform, um, you know, yeah, life-saving surgery or anything like that. And so what the caveman says is like, okay, how do I feel right now? And that takes skill because like, it took me a long time to sit with my body in meditation and just be like, okay, this is where I feel my emotions. So that's one part of it is like, okay, you can actually feel in your body when emotions are coming up. So for me, anger, I can feel that in the middle of my chest and sort of my, my upper to mid gut region. And it's this constricting heat. And so I know exactly what anger feels like now. And because I know what it feels like, I am more able to start to do the things that get me calm before it explodes. And if you don't have that body awareness, you're not going to notice until it's way too late. So that's one side of this. And the other side is people will go and like go months with something wrong with them and not having noticed it because they're so divorced from how they feel in their body. And I think this is like a big part of health. It's just, you need to be able to know what your body should feel like ideally so that when something is not quite right, you can do something about it. 
And this is everything from like eating whole foods and exercising and breathing into your belly and sleeping six to eight hours a night and drinking water rather than like soda or juice or something like that. If you hit the basic fundamentals, you will feel a certain way. And I have felt this way since I dialed this in myself a few years ago. Like I feel great almost all the time. And when I don't, I know that like, okay, maybe I can do something about that because I had a guest on my own show the other day, my own podcast, and he was telling a story about, you know, he asks dads, are you willing to die for your kid? And most of the answer is like, well, hundred percent of the answer is like, of course. And then he asked them the question, are you willing to get healthy for your kids? And it's like, oof, mm. that's a hard one because it's not this like one act. It's this lifelong pursuit of health. And like, why wouldn't you want to do that? Why wouldn't you want to be able to play with your kids as a grandparent? Why wouldn't you like, why would you want to risk dying early? Do you know what that does to a young kid to have a parent die early? Like my own dad died of a massive heart attack when he was 50. And I was like 24, I think. And even though I'm so grateful, I got those years with him. Like I wasn't ready to lose my dad. He was 50 years old. And so like, if he had noticed his body more, if he had committed to doing some of the things like smoking less or exercising more, then like maybe my grand, my, maybe my kids would have a granddad now. And so like, you got to find your why of course, but at the same time, you also need to like not rely on so-called big pharma. And like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist or whatever, but I do think there's competing um, motivations (laughs) in that space. And so like, yeah, you just get good at noticing what's going on in your body. So it's not like, oh, I'm going to the doctor again. I'm getting more antibiotics. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Like notice, try to find the root cause of it and then move forward. So that's why I think body awareness, both on the emotional side and the physical health side is so important. Mm. Pharma is a business, period. Just look at it like a business. They want to make money. And the best way to make money is to keep them sick for as long as possible. That's just, that's all it is. Yeah, you need to recognize it for that 100%. because because otherwise, you know, everybody says, I want to be around for my grandkids, but that doesn't start when you're a grandpa. That starts 30 years earlier. You got to start to look at this stuff. And so I love exactly. that point of awareness and, and realizing that the systems that are in place out there are not necessarily set up for you to succeed with some of your life goals. Um, so yeah. I'm so glad you, you made that point. We've talked about this a little bit already, nervous system regulation. And I love that you included not just breathing, but also things like stomping. I love that. Can you explain a little bit on why stomping can help nervous or help us regulate our nervous system? Yeah, this is something that is like the core of my parenting journey. Like I started to realize that when my kids were having a hard time, it was actually because they were in a state of nervous system dysregulation. So rather than being in their sort of so-called rest and digest stage, if you will, they're in this fight or flight. And when you're in that mode, you basically can no longer like learn. You are in this like survival mode basically. And it has a whole bunch of negative impacts if you are only living in that um, in that part of your nervous system. And so what we need to try to do is basically balance the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system in such a way that when something happens, we do not go flying down one side of it and sort of lose the perspective of being able to ground and, and breathe and like not be so angry because that's what happens to me as a parent. Like I felt immediately like I needed to, yeah, like fight because like something's in my space. I am out of control right now. I'm feeling uncomfortable or lonely or sad or scared. And instead of like doing something to round that out and to train that from a lifetime of having not been trained in that, 
I just like reacted. And so this is part of the thing that we talk about when we talk about like, there is a space between an action and your reaction that you ought find between a stimulus and a response. It's sometimes said, and finding that space requires regulating the nervous system. And the other side of this is that like when trauma happens or when big blowups happen, and I'll, I'll repeat this, I'm sure, you know, the listeners have heard this before or somewhere, but when in the wild, like a duck or a rabbit escapes being eaten, if you watch them on like nature videos or whatever, they'll shake. They're just, their body will just shake involuntarily. And what that does is it actually releases some of the energy from that nervous system um, state. And so rather than store it in your body, and I know like you can read, uh, I think the the Body Keeps the Score is a good book to go into so and stuff like this. So good. Um, and, and yeah, so like this isn't just woo-woo mumbo jumbo, like I'm not a scientist or whatever, but I have done some work on this as a breath worker. Um, so I certainly do you do the research that goes along with this, but it, it all comes back to like flushing out that so that it does not become this like in the body trauma. And so, yeah, like things like, yelling. We don't let our kids yell. We don't let ourselves yell. And sometimes when you're angry and you need to move energy, you got to go grab a pillow and scream into it. Like we do that in men's work to clear up some anger and it, it works. Playing is another great one. Stomping, like just getting that movement out of your body so that, you know, when your kids are small and they don't really know how to like breathe it out of their body, as well as we might be able to do that to stop ourselves having a negative reaction, get them to stomp, get them to wave their arms, get them to go like a little bit crazy for a few seconds, just to move that energy. So yeah, we, we can't be so like neat and tidy all the time because that represses and suppresses emotions that are normal that we need to learn how to express in a positive way. And so if your nervous system's out of whack, you might feel all these things and then you might not be able to uh, react in such a way that is constructive. And I think that's a huge issue that I'm seeing with the dads I work with is that never mind the kids, like the dads, the parents are having a hard time getting their own nervous systems regulated because they're not breathing deeply into their belly. They're not shaking out their body after trauma. They're not like speaking loudly when they need to, or making like guttural grunts when they need to. All of this stuff sounds crazy to a lot of people, but man, it, it really works. Somatic stuff is so real. It is not woo-woo yes. at all. It is totally, totally real. Um, and we couldn't recommend that book enough. It's such a great book to understand how some of these things work in your body. It's so important. I'm so glad you included that. You also included connect without distractions, no distractions. What What is the importance of connecting? Yeah. And this is another way, in other words, quality time. I have learned about this a lot. I've heard from other dads a lot, other teachers, that it's not a matter of like, you know, uh, uh, let's say you have two hours and you give your kids like 25% attention through those two hours because you're on your phone or you're like you're, you're doing work or whatever. Your kids are going to get significantly less from that 25% attention over two hours than they would if you just gave them 10 minutes of your 100% attention. And it's way easier to do that than being annoyed and frustrated that like you're, they're not leaving you alone. So what I like to do is just like try to find five, 10, 15 minutes a day with each person in your family to give them your undivided attention. Like put the phone down. This is a challenge that I've had. I've, I've taken my own phone screen time from four hours a day down to two and I wow. use it for work. So like there's, there's a, some stuff I so-called, you know, quote unquote have to do. Um, and this has been like game changing for me. And I've heard about it and it's super hard, but connecting with no distractions, you feel 
more capable. You feel like you have more time and space to do stuff in your family. Uh, you're not using like, you're not letting inertia push you so much because you have that space. And yeah, like the kids need to be seen and like really just not, not seen like, okay, yeah, there you are, but like seen into their life. And you can't do that. You can't really like empathize with what's going on inside of them if you're distracted. And so they need to be like, I am more important than this phone because the opposite is true for a lot of kids these days. Like, oh, obviously dad's phone is more important than me. And that, like we're talking about trauma before, that can feel terrible for a kid. So put the phone down, connect, even if it's 10, 15 minutes a day with each person in your family, that will go so far. Totally. And if it, you know, in the beginning, when you're trying that, it feels very difficult. It feels like you are getting tugged at by every email notification, social media notification. But those are the tools that you can use to help free yourself from the grip of the phone, like move social media apps off of your phone or turn off the notifications or turn off push notifications for your email. And you just find like, I thought I would miss being on Facebook all the time, but the world just keeps spinning and everything is okay in my little corner of the globe when I'm not getting buzzed by every news update. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, totally. And I have, um, like from, for myself on the phone thing, like I am doing my very best not to be active on social media. So like my desktop Facebook has a um, newsfeed eradicator, so I can't see that. Um, like I check my screen time every week and it just stares me in the face with what I'm doing. And, uh, yeah, like there's, there's no need to be on there all the time because like, it, it's not real. It's so not real. I was listening to, I think it was like a Joe Rogan podcast the other day with Tristan Harris talking about like 15 out of the top 15, um, I think it was uh, Christian Facebook groups were like actually run by Russian troll farms <laughs> and like, you know, two thirds of the top um, other ones in this category, in this category. And it's like, it's not real. And so what are you doing on there? And like, why are you letting this run your life? It's so terrible. And so one simple hack is just like, decide that your phone will live in a certain place in your house and never take it out of there. So for me, that's my office, like on my windowsill. I will sometimes reach for it when I'm working, but otherwise, like I go out for lunch, I'm not reading, I'm not scrolling Facebook. When I go up after work, it's not there to distract me. When I go to bed, like there's no chance I'm not going down three floors to go get my phone. I'm going to read or like connect with my wife. So just like try to set a boundary around that and and see if that works because it has worked for me. That's a great tip. I really love that. It is a little horrific the first time you see your screen time. If you're not aware of how much time you're spending on your phone, you'll, you'll blow your mind. It's crazy. Uh, okay. Freedom and adventure. And it occurs to me, and you kind of mentioned this, um, as your tip with adventure to have an adventure, in my opinion, you can't do anything that's already really safe. You have to kind of push the boundaries a little bit. Can you talk about how we can have freedom and adventures in our life without being, you know, reckless? Mm, Yeah, that's a good point. There is this sort of mindful awareness that you need to bring to all things. And in terms of adventure, like part of my work right now is I sort of got to this state of like, we were talking about before nervous system regulation. I feel confident. I feel like a leader. I feel like, uh, like a man, like a dad, like a grown up, which is, you know, not something I felt like my entire adult life. And so now what is my next work? Well, my next work is to figure out how to raise boys specifically. I have three sons and what I am reading and hearing from other dads of teenagers and older boys and some authors is that boys need an adventure. They need to do dangerous things because it's simply part of our programming. They need to know in, in this one book and that I am blanking on the name of, and I'll try and, I'll try and think of it eventually. Um, he says that like the, the boy's biggest question and the man's biggest question is like, do I have what it takes? And that question is usually answered by the dad. 
And unfortunately, the father doesn't often do those things. And so what I'm trying to do now is find ways. Oh, the book is called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. Um, I, I'm trying to find ways with my kids to push them, to challenge them and support them because I think that's what boys need. And, and again, I'm I'm doing this for the first time. I have never been a father of an eight, six and one-year-old. So like I tell that to parents all the time, like you've never done this before. You probably don't know what you're doing. That's okay. Like relieve that stress, relieve that burden of guilt. And anyway, the, the recklessness, I think that just comes down to being aware again is, you know, you have to do things that are hard. You have to do things that are scary. And sometimes you have to take risks. And I think the risk-taking includes a calculated, thoughtful uh, assessment of what you're doing and whether or not you can live with the outcomes. And sometimes the answer is no. And I think that's probably the difference between recklessness and risk um, is just like the the reckless person almost has this, they talk about this um, in... I think it's King Warrior Magician Lover um, about male archetypes. And there is this uh, immature archetype, this boy psychology, they call it, of the hero. And the hero is valiant and he gets stuff done and he goes on adventures and he doesn't care about safety. But the problem is he doesn't actually have the maturity aspect that will bring him humility, that will bring him an awareness of like what his limits are. And so what you find in a hero, if a man embodies this hero archetype rather than the full warrior archetype, is that he will run, rush into things recklessly and sometimes have bad consequences. Sometimes the, the hero will die because he didn't have an awareness of his own limits. So I think, again, like teaching yourself, teaching your kids this calm down, uh, become still, sit in silence and really think and notice how this feels. That is absolutely necessary, I think, uh, to go from sort of risky to reckless. And so on the same vein, like, you know, there is some risk involved. And I think there ought to be that because it pushes us to navigate. I love operating in chaos because I feel alive. And maybe that's just, you know, part of my programming as a man, I'm not sure. But I think bringing this to our kids and getting them to do stuff that's off the beaten path, that has an element of risk and even danger to it at some point. And I think what we're seeing right now, at least in my view, and don't want to get into politics at all, is just like, we're seeing a, a society that values safety over freedom and adventure. And um, man, I don't think that's a, a great place to go if we look at history. So that's why this is in there. And just like, yeah, be free, do your own stuff, take responsibility for your own life. And sometimes that's not safe, but uh, it's way better than the alternative. Yeah, that's right. And understanding that, you know, you can do something that's phys physically courageous or also sitting with your feelings can take a whole lot of courage. And so I love both sides of that coin. I'm so glad that you included that in there. The very last one, community is sacred. And you make a point to say, not only build it, but nurture it. What do you mean when you say you want to nurture community? Mm, so this is something that takes work. I, I have not had for years, a community in my life because I was lone wolfing it. And this is this idea that, again, we talked about earlier, like this independence, this not being able to ask for help. I even remember telling my granddad, we have um, fairly regular talks. And I told him at one point years ago, I was like, I don't need friends. Like I am good. Like I am strong. I'm tough. I'm just doing my own thing. Got a wife and kids. Like we're good. I don't need that. And only in the last couple of years, since I joined a local men's group and some online communities and masterminds, have I realized like just how enriching community is. I will, I will give up like so much just to be around people. And that really shocked me. And so the nurturing part is that like 
to do that, you have to extend. You have to be willing to make offers and invite people into your life. And a lot of people don't do that. I had a guest, uh, David Stegman, on my podcast earlier, and he said that men, all men, crave going deeper, but rarely is there an invitation. And so that's what I've tried to cultivate is like, I'm inviting guys from my own men's group. Like, Hey, do you want to come for dinner? Like bring your wife, bring your girlfriend, bring your kids, whoever, but like, let's do this. And I know it's like a drive and I know it's on the, this day or whatever it is, but I think it's important. And so being the one to take responsibility for that and not being like, well, they didn't call me back or nobody ever invites me. Like if you want it, go and get it. You have to put the work in to do these things. And that's just like parenting. That's just like marriage. That's just like your health, your fitness. This isn't something that anybody else is going to do for you. And so take the responsibility because this is your life. And if you want this beautiful feeling, which I have rarely felt anything more wonderful and heartwarming and like life affirming than community and hearing people in my kitchen coming together and making food and talking and having each other's backs and asking the deep questions like, what are you struggling with right now? How can I have your back more? Like, what, what do you need from me right now? Like building that and not waiting for it to come, I just think is... Like it's, it's one of the most profound things I have ever done. And I just cannot believe that I was missing it for so long in my life. Wow. Well, you certainly do such a great job on your podcast, um, you know, doing that. I know you also do it you know, in, in your groups. Um, but I just have to say, like, as a future father, it's, it's really, it, it's great to listen to your show. And I have to say, like, you could have just as easily done this in a way that was like, yeah, I did the work. That was a few years ago. You know, everything's pretty cool now. And I'm going to teach you how to do this. And that's not your approach. Like, you approach your podcast in a very vulnerable way. And I don't feel like... I feel like I'm taking this journey with you. Why did you decide to be as vulnerable and open as you are in your show? Oh, well, thank you for saying that. That um, That's very gratifying and affirming, actually. And I just, I don't know how else you do it. Like, my number one value for relationships is authenticity. And I thought for a long time it was self-awareness. And the reason that I, I think it's authenticity is because authenticity requires self-awareness. Uh, you cannot show up as your true self if you don't even know who your true self is. And so in my relationships, the thing that I sort of prioritize is authenticity. And if I want that, much like nurturing my community, I have to give it. And like, I have no qualms about sharing it. It actually, like I said, when you share with other men, with other people in your life is actually a great way to move energy and to let go of certain things. When you can note what's going on, and we talk about this in men's group a lot, when you can note something in your life, own it, take responsibility for it, only then can you transform it or let it go or move through it. And so like, for me, it's just a no brainer. I don't know if uh, there's something about me that like is okay being vulnerable or whatever, but cultivating vulnerability and going deep is like, oh, it cuts off so much time and, and BS when guys are like dancing around the outskirts. It's like, look, we've all got a story. We've all struggled. I know you're not perfect because I'm not perfect. Even though I like put out this perfect veneer for so many years, we've all got struggles and stories. And if I start first, it gives you permission to go there too. So I guess that's what it is. It's just like for me to have good relationships with authentic people, I want to invite them to do that by being the one who goes first, because I no longer have the fear of being seen as my true self. And so if I can do it first, that invitation, like the, like the guest on my podcast was talking about, the invitation gets sent. And then from there, you can choose to do with it what you want. But especially because not many men are doing this, I just thought it was like, yeah, we, we have to go deep. We have to go there. 
I don't have time for, you know, stupid memes about the dad not knowing what to do or like fixing the the plumbing. Like, I don't care about that stuff. I want to go deep. I want to like be connected. So let's just start with that. So I guess that's probably why I stick the vulnerability side. I love that. You know, I, I messaged you, you know, before we set this interview up and, you know, you, the interviews that you do are fantastic and you're a really, really great host. You have a skill for listening that I think is so important. And I really love that. But you also do the solo shows. And I messaged you to say like, man, I really connected with this one. I'm, I'm somebody that I like to feel like I've done a lot of work on mindfulness. I've sat with a lot of feelings. I've learned how to, you know, stay grounded and be open. And I had a situation recently where I communicated um, very unfavorably towards my spouse. And man, like the regret of like saying what I said and the way that I said it, like I should know way better than to do that. And I goofed up really bad and it takes time to rebuild trust. And you had a similar situation and I, I'm just, I'm so glad and grateful for you that you would, you know, express that and, you know, give us permission to try again. I'm somebody that, you know, I'm going to screw up again. I know that I am. I know that you know that about yourself too, but I will try again. And so I, I do really appreciate your vulnerability and the, the, that episode in particular that you were willing to go there. So thank you so much for doing that. Oh yeah. Thank you, man. And that's actually one of the things that I'm going to hopefully be doing more of is just like sharing more of these stories because those are the ones that get the best feedback. Um, like I shared that on Instagram and the podcast and just like the amount of people who are like, Oh man, thanks for, for going there because it gives me permission not to feel so guilty and not to feel so shameful because man, I spent like months, weeks at a time after I screwed up in the past, like as a younger father, and I would just like crater. I would feel shame and guilt. And I would just be like, oh, I'm worthless. I'm unlovable. I'm a loser. Um, like I, at, at some point it got so bad um, during my travel. And, and this is kind of ridiculous. You know, we go traveling for two years as a family. It's all amazing. So great. And like during that travel, uh, if you think like fatherhood triggers you and like uh, learn teaches you about stuff that's going on in your life that you need to fix, man, traveling with kids is like a hundred times crazier. Um, but anyway, like part of this journey for me was just like the, 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 the feeling that like I screwed up so badly that the only alternative was for me to like not be in their lives anymore. That was intense. And like, for me, it wasn't running away. Like I would never be able to live with myself if I ran away. This was like worse than that. This were really dark thoughts that I had at some points of my journey. And so like, if I can give people permission to feel like, okay with the fact that they screwed up because they're flipping human, like you, we're all doing the best we can do. Even if you're doing like really poorly, that's the best you can do based on all the stuff that's happened to you. Now, it's still your responsibility to do something with that. But like, let's not live in the past. You can't fix that. You can't make it better. And you are operating on the the beliefs and system and nervous system that you have sort of been, been given and that has sculpted, you've been sculpted by the environment. So one of the things I like to tell dads is that, look, it's not your fault but it's your responsibility. So like none of the things that happened to you, your traumas as a child, your, your parents, none of that was your fault. You came into this world. If you just think back, if you're a parent, think back to when your, your child was born. You like, there was nothing more perfect than that. There's literally nothing that kid could have done to be anything but perfect. That's how you came into this world. And so like, we are so impacted by our environment and our parents and nature versus nurture is some debate, but like, man, it is mostly nurture. And so like, imagine you didn't get the best lot in life. None of us did. So, so like let go of that shame because you're doing your best. And like I said, on the flip side of that, 
once you can sort of work through that understanding that it's not your fault and you can sort of forgive and surrender and let go, maybe feel anger about that, maybe grieve. Now it's time to take action. Now it's time to be like, look, I did screw up and I want to get better. And that's part of like what my story is. Like I took years and years and years to get better, but it was always like, well, I I think I can get better. And there's that hope. And I'm the only one who's going to be able to do the work. So I did do the work like day after day after day. And uh, so I guess end of the, end of the um, moral of the story is that it's like a message of hope. Like if I can get through that and if you can feel what you felt after, um, you know, the, the conversation with your, your partner, it's like, man, we can get through this. There's always another day and it's always possible to feel better. And that's, I guess, what I'm trying to get across to dads here is like, man, you can feel better because I know what it's like to feel terrible and, uh, and now I don't. So let's do the work. Let's take responsibility and let's do all the things we need to fix, heal, grow, all that kind of stuff. And hopefully with other men, because it's just so much better and so much more uh, gratifying to do it with other dudes. Mm, that's fantastic. I think the listener can look back on their life and find that every meaningful thing that they are proud of or that they look back with happiness, it cost them something. They had to work for it. There was some process that was behind it. Maybe it was a football championship or a, an award at work. It took the work and that's what gave it the meaning. Nothing nothing easy ever means anything. It's it's just cheap. So I, I love that you're so big on taking those steps and, and showing up to the arena. Well, tell us a little bit about your course. Um, I'm really curious to learn about it. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I have a course called conscious fatherhood. Uh, you can find it at dad.work slash CF. Um, and the, the thing that I wanted to do here was like, I had all this stuff in my head and I was like, Oh, where do I start? Like, I want to share this. I want to share this. I want to share this. And what I ended up doing was like, well, why don't I just put like the eight to 10 most impactful parts of my journey into one space? And so I started writing and I started recording videos and I started like looking at the tools and the resources I was using to, to heal and grow as a dad. And it was like, oh, there's like, there's enough here that, you know, this took me so many years. Like I said, I started doing this work like pretty soon after my first son was born. And that was like almost nine years ago now. And so it's taken me eight years. It's taken me like literally thousands of dollars of courses, coaching, uh, counseling, like all this kind of stuff. And who knows how many hours, like countless hours. If I could just like give you a little bit of a fast track down this path, that that ought to be you know useful to a lot of men. And so, you know, it, this course isn't going to be like, okay, now I'm fixed, but it's like this, this almost like a fast track to understanding where you might want to look to start doing the work. So one of the things I like to say, is that when I came into this work, let's just say like my feelings and my inner work was, was this mine. And I need to, to mine this mine with a pickaxe and I needed to get down to the root of things. And I need to do the work. And look, I didn't even know there was a mine when I started this work. And then I was like, Oh, what's, what's down there? Well, I need a pickaxe. Well, I didn't even know what a pickaxe was. I had to find the tools to make the pickaxe. Then I had to like figure out how to use the pickaxe. Then I had to do the work in the mine with the pickaxe of my emotions and my inner world what I'm trying to do here with my kids and through this course with other men and dads is give them like, here's a map. Here's a mine. Did you know this mine exists? Well, it does. Okay. You don't have to make your pickaxe. Here's the pickaxe for you. Like if you're ready to use it, go for it. You don't have to spend all the time and suffering that I went through to find these tools and to know where to look. So we talk about stuff like mindfulness and getting to that awareness, which we talked about earlier in this episode. We talk about like how to actually communicate with your spouse and with your kids in a way that will stop everything you say turning into a fight, which I know a lot of guys struggle with. We talk about balance. We talk about 
about filling up your own cup, why it's so important to nourish your mind, your body, and your soul and your heart. Um, like there's all these things from uh, mental reframes to sort of limit the guilt, which we were just talking about, to very practical things that you can do in the moment to not blow up when there's like a trigger. So we talk a lot about, you know, anger and, and staying grounded and mindful uh, when you there's tantrum or something else like that triggers you. And yeah, it's just my sort of way to be like, here, here's all the things that I learned. And if some of it helps, then, you know, I think it's going to be potentially life-changing for guys to take it. And that's sort of the, the goal. And so we're adding new things to it uh, every once in a while to make sure it's like just consistently extremely high value. And uh, yeah, again, it's dad.work slash CF if that's interesting. And uh, yeah, that's, that's the course. I really appreciate how clear and concise you were with the goal of the program. I think it would have been really easy to just say, yeah, it's just going to make dads better, but you have a very specific goal. I love how you are providing those tools. And again, fast tracking the the, the process that you had to go through and, and find them all. I think that's a really clear goal. And I really appreciate that answer. Kurt, this has been an incredible conversation. Uh, we've talked about a whole lot of different things. If you had one simple tip to distill down to the listener um, that they could take and apply in their lives, what would that be? That would be to slow down and notice more things. That's it. Just just slow down. And here, here's a challenge. This one triggered me. So <laughs> maybe it'll trigger the listener too. I had I, I follow a coach named John Wineland, and his challenge was sit for one hour in a chair and do nothing. Like don't meditate, don't focus on your breath, don't journal, don't think, don't get up, don't check your phone, do nothing for an hour. And man, that is like the hardest thing to do. And so my challenge is take 10 minutes and do nothing and just notice, like, what do you feel in your body? What thoughts are coming up? Stay present and just come back to what you notice. Because I think, man, like all of this, every single part of the th what we've been talking about has to start with developing self-awareness. So slow down and start noticing your life. Love that. That is fantastic. Kurt Storing, where again can people go to find you and connect with you in your work? Yeah, thank you so much. The website is dad.work, and that's a bit of a silly URL. Instead of .com, it's actually .work. So dad.work, we have a podcast, the Dad Work Podcast, which can be found at dad.work slash podcast. We've got a Facebook group. I think there's like 3,100 dads in there right now. We are launching men's groups. All of that can be found on our website, including our uh, free 14-day email series, Better Man, Better Dad, uh, which is available on pretty much every page of the dad.work website. So yeah, find us have a listen meet me on instagram or facebook would love to chat if you listen and uh thank you man for having me on this has been a ton of fun absolutely it was a really great time it was such an honor to talk to you i'm so grateful for you for your process that you went through um to, you know to be brave to face all of the things that were so uncomfortable within you but then to come out on the other side and and like we talked about being vulnerable sharing that with others is such a gift and so we're just so grateful for you and for the time that you took to go through that process and the time you took to be on our show today it's, it's again a very much an honor to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much, Casey. Absolutely. And I will see you in the NHL, my friend. <laughs> Sounds great, man. <laughs> awesome. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.
So thank you again so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. I can't thank you, the listener, enough. We are so grateful for you. This year, 2021, was amazing. We got to talk to so many amazing people around the world and got to learn so much from them. And we actually just passed 80,000 downloads worldwide, which I just, when I started this, could not even fathom that we could reach that many people with the message. And hopefully you have gotten a lot out of this, um, as, as have we. Um, as we start the new year, we just wanted to let you know about some of the resources that we offer at Boundless Body LLC. Please go to our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. That's myboundlessbody.com. You will see an option to book a complimentary 30-minute consultation with us so that we can discuss your goals with health and fitness and maybe help you create a plan for the new year. Bethany, my wife, also offers uh, virtual mat Pilates classes, which are absolutely amazing. They're very engaging and also very, very affordable. Those can be done live on Mondays and Fridays or also given out as a recording to do at your own convenience. We also offer training and meal planning services that are also done virtually from the safety of your own home. So if you want to avoid the busyness of a gym, we can help show you how to get really fantastic results at home with a very minimal amount of equipment. We've been doing it now for two years. We've gotten pretty good at it. So we are happy to show you that. Once again, that website is myboundlessbody.com. And if you are enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple. It really helps um, get this passion project out to more people. So cheers to 2022. And thank you again for listening to Boundless Body Radio.